Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. says every time Olivia Munn posts a photo, people act like it's some kind of message to Aaron Rodgers. So in the interest of gender equality, Mike, I'm just going to interpret Aaron Rodgers, Ron Jeremy look as a cry for help. I was thinking more Doc Holliday. Really? I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> Why, Johnny Ringo. We cross. <laughs> What's good? Welcome to the best 60 minutes of your day. Great day to be Matthew Stafford. Later in the show, we'll react to the reaction to the Lions making him the highest paid player in NFL history. And is there a finalized have Celtics trade in the near future and confirmation that D-Wade doesn't have much of a future in Chicago. But first, here's what's happening right now on the six. Starting Jamel with Ezekiel Elliott looking to avoid sitting for the first six. Yeah, he was in uh, New York today at some undisclosed location to appeal his six-game suspension for domestic violence. Now, Harold Henderson was appointed the arbitrator, and according to reports, all sides, the NFL, the NFLPA, the Cowboys, and Elliott were expected to be properly lawyered up for the hearing. Now, Elliott has reportedly hired Jeffrey Kessler, and if that name sounds familiar, he recently represented Tom Brady in his deflate gate case. But of course, Ezekiel Elliott uh, still being supported by his quarterback, Dak Prescott, hashtag 214, which is their jersey numbers, I believe. But Mike, when this is all said and done, if this, if this appeal does not go in his favor, and hiring Kessler is an indication that he probably may proceed to take this to court. But if he doesn't win this appeal, should he just drop it? Absolutely not. You got to fight this thing all the way through. You got to go Tom Brady and take it to court and another court and another court as far as you can go with this thing, especially if you believe that you are, in fact, innocent. And look, you could expect to lose the appeal because the fix is clearly in. The NFL has already made up its mind. Year-long investigation. They didn't just hand this thing down haphazardly. But you can expect to lose and still fight this thing through. I mean, just because the fix is in, it doesn't mean that you can't still point out how broken this disciplinary system is. Well, the fix does look in, and that's part of the reason why I think he should pack it in. Tom Brady, good example. There were many points throughout Tom Brady's struggles or his fight with the NFL that we thought he won the case, that he had actually done the unthinkable and the impossible and beat the NFL at his own game, only for that proved not to be true. And look, whether or not he fights this all the way to whatever level he can fight it to or whether he drops it tomorrow, I don't know how much that's going to go in changing what people think of him or what his reputation is. But if you don't fight it, isn't that an admission of guilt? No, isn't that it's, implicit? it's not. It's, a, it's an admission. In some people's mind. In some people's mind it will, but in some people's mind, even if he got off he may have gamed the system or if he got off on a technicality, I think he's going to face that regardless. We had the same conversation with Brady. If you just say, you know what, I'll just take my medicine. And there's Why a lot should of people still it? think Brady cheated. But, but, if it's, but if you did nothing wrong, okay, there's no, there's no gray area when it comes to domestic violence. This is right. not deflating footballs or whether he knew it or not. This is something altogether different. If you did nothing wrong, you either did something or you didn't. And if you believe you didn't, why should you sit for six games, especially when, again, the commissioner went the opposite extreme. Roger Goodell went from interviewing Ray and Janae Rice in the same room to not talking to Ezekiel Elliott 
or his accuser before rendering a decision. I mean, ask, ask Anthony Hargrove, ask Tom Brady, you know, ask, ask anybody who's dealt with the NFL's disciplinary system what it's like to try to fight them when basically they believe that the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, and they've already decided that they're going to have their facts suit a theory versus a theory to suit facts. Ask them what a losing battle that is. It doesn't mean you don't take up the fight. No, it doesn't, but at the end of the day, he does have his career to think about in terms of moving on it still isn't going to change perceptions. And I hear you, this is a different kind of fight. But at some point, with the way the NFL has gamed this system to be unwinnable for players, I just don't know what else this is Let going to accomplish. Let the court decide this. Um, now, Jerry Jones, who has been strangely silent since the NFL issued Ezekiel Elliott a six-game suspension, he finally broke his silence on the issue on Dallas's 105.3, the fan. And not surprisingly, Jones was insistent that there was no evidence Elliot committed domestic violence. With what we are today and what we're trying to be relative to uh, uh, addressing it in the league uh, has all kinds of issues, and uh, it should. It's a very complicated, complicated issue, and uh, because uh, you have no evidence here, and so. Uh, uh, that's all I want to say about it, but it creates quite a, a convoluted but uh, uh, approach by Zeke's representatives and by uh, the league that uh, uh, I really hate uh, is a focus of all of our attention. I do, uh, even though uh, others would say that uh, the issue needs this kind of focus, and you're using the NFL for visibility. Jerry Jones used the word hate there, and I'll steal that word. You know what I hate, or among the many things I hate about talking about this case in particular, is that no one on any of these sides really has any credibility. The NFL certainly doesn't with their their domestic violence investigations and any of their investigations, period. Jerry Jones, who, interestingly enough, in this comments that he made to 105.3. He talked about the work he had done for uh, in terms of safe houses and, and battered women in Arkansas. But you were the same one who gave a job to Greg Hardy. So really, you don't really have any credibility in this either. Then you have Ezekiel Elliott. And if there was somebody, the perfect person to come along for the commissioner to make an example of, it was certainly him. Being that his immature incidents, although not the same, and everything can't be lumped together with somebody that nobody was going to feel sorry for if something happened to them, if this turned sideways on them, which it did. And certainly I don't feel comfortable at all when looking at all the evidence and lack thereof, as he alluded to, I don't feel comfortable sitting up in here, sitting here and questioning the credibility of somebody who may potentially be a victim because two things can be true. She could be lying, but she also could be a victim of domestic violence. Yeah. So all of this is just so messy, which right. is why it boggles my mind that the NFL was able to conclusively prove in their mind that this actually happened. Well, I think Jerry does make a good point if I'm understanding what he was saying. And I think what he's saying is this isn't about justice. This isn't about um, the alleged victim, if in fact domestic violence actually occurred. This is about the CBA and this is about CYA at this point. This is, I mean, because everybody else that's gone through this process as it relates to domestic violence, they dealt with or escaped, as often is the case, the legal system. And then the NFL came back with it. There was, with their discipline, there was no charges, no arrests, 
no prosecution, no nothing. So the NFL on its own, I think this is what Jerry is getting at, is using this as a way to to establish or reestablish precedent, gain PR, and to a lesser extent, it's about principle. But it's certainly not about the alleged victim gaining some kind of closure. You know, it's not like she's sued or anything like that. So really, I would say to what end? And what I hate, I'll, I'll piggyback off your phrase, hate, I hate how arbitrary this all is when it comes to discipline. Six games is the baseline. So that's why it's unlikely that Harold Henderson is going to reduce this. That's the baseline for domestic violence that the league has established. But if he did something, is that really his, his comeuppance? If Ezekiel Elliott, in fact, put his hands on this young lady, is six games going to teach him a lesson as opposed to two or four? Why does six make everybody feel good about the situation if that's in fact what happened? Some would say that you can't punish him enough, that he deserves everything that's coming to him and more. So whether it gets reduced to four or two based on procedure or whether it's about disclosure or lack thereof or how they went about finding this out, does it matter if he actually put his hands on on her? And and going forward, this is going to all be about the abuse of power. And what is it, Article 46? Mm -hmm. Here we go with that again. Not about this young lady, not about what Zeke may or may not have done, not about curtailing or preventing or or, or punishing for domestic violence, but about who can look best in the court of public opinion. All right, to Major League Baseball, where the Astros and Rangers begin three-game series tonight at Tropicana Field in Tampa, the Rangers are being heavily criticized on social media, though not nearly as much as Joel Osteen, uh, (laughs) for declining a proposed swap of dates that would have Houston host the series initially scheduled for Arlington in late September due to concerns for fans who had bought tickets to the September 25th, 27th series, uh, through 27th series, excuse me. Plus, the Rangers would have been on the road for four of the last five series of the season. Now, the Rangers offered to play this week's series in Arlington while providing all revenue minus expenses to the Astros. To Mark Schwartz we go, who is in Tampa for Rangers-Astros. Mark, what's the mood like in the Astros locker room as they get set to play this game tonight, this home game in Tampa? It's surreal here, Michael, and I saw some emotion in the eyes of some of the Astros players and their manager, A.J. Hinch. I saw second baseman Jose Altuve, whose young daughter will be 10 months old tomorrow. She is in Houston with his family. His wife is in Dallas. He is here in Tampa. He can't get to his daughter. His wife can't get to his daughter yet. They are very concerned. Luke Gregerson's family was trying to get his family out of Houston, and finally, they are on their way to Austin. I spoke to starting pitcher Charlie Morton. He has three babies, five years old and under, two golden retrievers, and his wife, his wife said, Charlie, we don't need to be airlifted out of Houston. There are people without resources that need it more than I do. The prevailing mood here, Mike, is that the Astros are not feeling sorry for themselves about having to play in Tampa or not getting to switch series with the Texas Rangers. Their concerns, as George Springer put it, are with the people in a city that is getting pounded. The fact that I'm here, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm safe. My fiance is obviously safe. You know, her family's safe. That that's there is, is, is obviously great. But, you know, I'm going to go out there and, and I'm going to play for all those people who, who aren't safe, you know, for, for, for all the ones that are stuck, for all the ones that are stranded. You know, I'm going to go out there and, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll run through a wall if I have to for, for that city. we got to kind of come together as a group, as, as brothers, and, and support each other and do the best we can. And, you know, when game time comes, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a good distraction for us. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's tough. We're the least people affected by all this. We're, we're in Florida playing at a game that's completely dry and completely good. I mean, I'm, I'm still thinking about friends' stories of when they're rescuing babies and kids. And, 
and people in trees and people swimming across streets that they normally walk across. Like, we're talking about a baseball game. A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Astros, says he's not worried about his, how his players will play tonight between 7 and 10 o'clock. He said, I wish I could help someone. I wish I could be carrying a baby right now. Emotions very powerful here with the Astros thousands of miles, in some cases, from their loved ones and from a city that's been devastated. Thank you, Mark Schwartz. Indeed, very strong and powerful reporting. Just to give you a quick update of where we are, um, really can't even put into words uh, a thank you for the Tennessee Titans organization, Miss Amy Adams Strunk, a million-dollar donation. Uh, that's from a team in our division, one of our rivals, uh, but stepping up for the greater good of the people. I cannot thank you enough. I'm going to do everything to make sure that that money goes directly to the people, like I've said all along. Uh, and to the rest of you, thank you so much. Uh, from donations of a million dollars down to don- donations of five dollars, it's truly unbelievable. I can't thank you enough. We're going to we're at 3.25 million right now. I'm raising the goal to four million. Who knows where we can take this thing? Thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, keep donating keep spreading the word youcaring.com slash jj watt incredible humanity is incredible uh the positive vibes are unbelievable houston we're all thinking of you the whole world is wishing you the best and over the last 36 hours some of the biggest figures in the sports world have rushed to the aid of the country's fourth largest city as Watt alluded to, the Titans pledged a million dollars to his fundraiser. That goal was initially 200000 It's now reached $3.5 million. Ezekiel Elliott, the aforementioned Ezekiel Elliott, he pledged $21K. Mike Trout, $27K. Jersey-themed donations there. Bills defensive end Jerry Hughes pledged $25,000, plus an additional five for every sack he records this season. I think Scott Casimir uh, threw in uh, a donation as well. Uh, celebs like Kevin Hart, Drake, The Rock. CP3 have all either reached out or donated to J.J. Watt's uh, fundraiser. And last but certainly not least, Rockets owner Leslie Alexander upped his donation from $4 million to $10 million. Now the Texans, they have a preseason game to play on Thursday. They continue to practice at the Cowboys facility in Frisco in preparation uh, for that. The game, of course, was moved to Dallas after everything that happened with Hurricane then Tropical Storm Harvey. They offered more thoughts and support, though, for the people in Houston today who are coping with the worst, one of the worst natural disasters. It's kind of that feeling of helplessness, you know, that you're away from your your family, you know, and so the the players and coaches, you know, we're all, and the trainers and the, the operations people and the video guys and equipment guys, everybody, you know, they're all away from their families. So that's where there's a feeling of you can't really do anything to help. All you can do is FaceTime and talk on the phone. How's it going? Where's the water? All those things. And, and then watch the news. Uh, so that, that's probably the biggest, you know, issue. The city of Houston, you know, uh, sports, you know, kind of keeps everybody close, you know, whether it's the, whether it's us, whether it's the Astros or the Rockets, you know, uh, you know, with all of us kind of pitching in and, you know, helping one another, I think we'll definitely bounce back even stronger. All right. And for more, we're joined now by Texans cornerback Jonathan Joseph. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for joining us. First and foremost, man, how is your family? How are your loved ones doing? Man, my loved ones are doing great. You know, they're at home. Unfortunately enough, you know, the city's been hit pretty hard right now. But, you know, um, my area didn't get hit too hard, you know, just other than just stuck in the house with rain. And a lot of the stores been closed around, so kind of limited on food and things like that. What was going on from your perspective? How were you keeping in touch with everyone at home? And, and what, what was that like for you? 
Um, just texting back and forth, trying to get an update, you know, pretty much throughout the whole day. And pretty much once the game started, uh, the communication was kind of shut off. But we tried to make a decision, you know. My family actually went back and forth with me about driving to Dallas. Um, and we kind of made a decision. They ended up staying back in Houston. So um, it was an unfortunate situation. But I think all in all, hopefully things will die down soon enough. How have you been able to compartmentalize and focus on football during a time like this? It's very hard because, you know, you like to be there for your family first and foremost, for your city, and try to help out any way you can possibly. But, you know, being here in Dallas and not being there to actually go out and help and physically be there and give your support, your emotional support and things like that, it's definitely hard. But at the end of the day, we're all professionals and we have a job to do, and part of our job is being here in Dallas at this moment. Yeah, you're an established 12-year vet, seventh year with the Texans, so this fourth preseason game doesn't mean as much to you as it does to the 37 guys trying to make the final 53. Um, how are, just in your observations, how are they able to handle this roster bubble while something so much bigger than football is going on, going into a game that can mean whether they make the team or not? It's a tough situation because there's a lot of young guys and some experienced guys on that list as well that's going to actually have to go out there and fight for jobs tomorrow in that game. But I think at the end of the day, being a professional, you have to kind of block some of the outside things out because it's kind of unfair for those guys to where they have to, you know, care for their families, their loved ones that's back home, you know, whether it's their home, their apartments, their cars, personal things, but they have to still go out and compete for a job. So it's definitely a stressful situation, but I think um, us as veterans like myself and other guys on the team, we have to kind of keep those guys focused because they have to go out there and give it their all at the end of the day. What were your thoughts on the decision to play the game anyway, even though it's, being, it's been moved to Arlington? Uh, my first initial reaction was, you know, if the game can be canceled, that would be perfect. Just because in a situation like this, I think things kind of happen quickly. The way things are escalating, it's a possibility that it may be even more rain coming our way, I think. Um, that would be one of the options that I would definitely lean toward and be in favor of. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's a decision that's made above my head. Now, I assume you've probably been watching a lot of the coverage uh, while being there in Dallas. Uh, what's kind of touched you the most about how people have responded to this tragedy? It's just seeing some of the areas that you're familiar with, just being so deep underwater, um, just seeing some of the families being left without anything, um, hearing some of the tragic stories, people being drowning, people getting killed and things like that. Just the whole city's in an uproar right now, and it's a very touching moment just to be away from it and not be actually there to help out in no form or fashion. Um, you definitely want to, you know, give your thanks and your support, but not being there kind of takes away from it also, in my opinion. Have you thought about what you might feel or how you might feel once you do actually return to Houston? Um, not at all, because, you know, just talking to my wife and just back and forth over the phone, it's one thing to see it on TV, but it's a different, totally different feel to be there and see it in person, experience it, going through different situations, whether it's losing power throughout the day or being there with shortage on food or just actually getting out in the community and helping out also. Uh, so Coach Bill O'Brien said that the organization is dedicating the season to the city of Houston. What's that mean to you and what would it mean to you guys to inspire that community with a successful season? Uh, it means a lot to us. You know, I think our community, our um, city of Houston supports us to the 1,000%. Um, every game, they're sold out, whether we're winning or losing. The crowd's always there and into it. And I think anytime you have the support like that, it nothing we can do more than go back and give our all you know, throughout the season and play and dedicate the season for them and give our support, you know, whether it's financially, emotionally, or however it is, just showing that we actually care for the city. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you joining us. We know you got a lot on your mind. Thank you for taking the time, and our thoughts and prayers grow out to 
the organization as well as the entire community. Uh, no problem, man. Thank you guys for having me on. All right, one other Harvard-related headline. Uh, the University of Houston's season-opening football game against UTSA has been postponed. The school announced earlier uh, the Cougars were scheduled to play the Roadrunners at 7 Eastern on Saturday at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. The Cougars' other fall sports events scheduled for this weekend in volleyball, soccer, and cross-country have also been canceled. The teams will explore the possibility of rescheduling the game at a later date. Talking about the football game, the Cougars have been staying and practicing in Austin since Saturday. Uh, I just want to add one other thing about Harvey before we, uh, before we take our first break. Um, we often, lately especially, have talked about sports as an escape, sports as a change agent. But just looking at the, the millions and millions being donated, um, this is an example of sports as this great unifier. And if there's a silver lining to this disaster, this tragedy, and I would never trivialize the, the loss of life and uh, both literal and, you know, lifestyle or livelihood that they're experiencing. But if there is a silver lining, it's just that this has brought this country together when it felt like we were never more divided. Like it, the timing of this is, is, is not necessarily accidental is what I'm saying. There's been a lot of bipartisan BS uh, at the top of the news stories and the news programs. And now this happens. And just to see the outpour, and I just want to applaud everybody who's dug into their pockets and, and given up their time, their attention, their platform to rush to the aid of the people of Houston. Yeah, when you start hearing or reading about or watching some of the stories of the people who have been rescued, and it, it's, it's touching. And while it's on some level, um, I don't know where to put it, the fact that we, I don't want to, we didn't need a natural disaster, but the fact that it took one mm-hmm. to show this level of humanity and support, uh, regardless of, uh, of economic background, racial background, whatever right. it may be, uh, that it, that this was the triggering point. United it, States it, needed united. Right. Yeah. In, its, uh, in its own way is a, is a commentary. I just hope when this is all done, yeah. okay, that we use this, we've used other momentum, uh, more hateful things that have bled over into our society and, and caused a permanent stench. I hope that this becomes a real touching off point so that it doesn't take this for us to show how we feel about one another and to be good neighbors. Amen. Call them deuce or dose, anything but broke. <laughs> Y'all After, for that. No, that's ridiculous. That was mean. Five-year, $135 million deal, $92 million guaranteed, $50 million signing bonus, average of $27 million a year, richest in NFL history. Congratulations. Let me hold $5. It's not much different than I feel yesterday. Um, you know, I work extremely hard no matter, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, what my – salary is for the year or, or, or anything like that um, you know it's just part of what comes with the position of, of playing quarterback in this league and, and playing it at a high level and that's what I strive to do Matt deserves it uh, everything all the good that comes to him he deserves it uh, you know he's a guy that comes in every day with purpose and every single year you see him grow a little bit more um, so I'm happy for him uh, you can do a lot with 135 million dollars <laughs> i tell you that now haters like Jamel, are reasonable people like to point out that Matthew Stafford is five and forty-three in his career against teams with winning records yes. on the road. Why would we ever point out something as important as wins? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. That's five and forty-three overall. Five and forty-six if you include playoffs on the road. One and twenty-three against teams is that with bad? winning record. Let me, let me just get through this <laughs> so I get to the good stuff. Okay. On the flip side, since 2011, 
which he has started every game since then, mind you. Mm-hmm. He's got 26 game-winning drives in the fourth quarter overtime. That's six more than anybody else. Eight came last season, the most by any player since the 1970 merger. So stop player hating. Don't hate that player. Hate, this, hate the game. Timing is everything. It He's is. the highest paid I, until I, the next I person. I don't blame Matthew Stafford for this. I don't. I blame – well, it's not blame. I need you to apologize to him, by the way. <laughs> we'll call him Broke J. Cutler. Yeah, and when you saw him, you were all up in his face, all <laughs> cheesed up. I was going to tell him to his face, and you stopped me. Y'all were BFFs. You stopped me. Was yeah. I not going to tell him to his face? I said, I'm going to be honest. I have been very critical of you because I don't say anything. Why? I'm sorry. What, did you want to repeat that again? 5-43. including playoffs. Worst in the league since Against winning reckon, teams. 1-23 mm-hmm, yeah. on, on the road. road. Yeah. So, yes, that, that's why. Okay, so, he, so I'm sorry. I didn't know he was a basketball player. I didn't know he played both ways. Okay. But, I didn't know he but, ran but the you're ball, playing, too. You're paying him like I know one. he ran the ball, too. You're paying him like... Is he a he quarterback can, or not? You're paying him like well, if you touch the him of his jersey, he, <laughs> that's everybody's going to be you healed. You know I hate one-loss records for quarterbacks. Okay, that's but at what point is it relevant? Put that stuff in the running game. Barry Sanders walking through that door. Oh, I get it. The defense, you know... So you pay him like... He's the guy. But then when you talk about wins and losses, is everybody else. Is that how that works? I See, don't. I never not, go okay, one, one loss with quarterback. Let, I don't let, do that. Let I'll me finish that. this with him. This is not Matthew Stafford's fault. Congratulations really are in order. Timing really is everything because essentially this is about the Lions. This is an indictment of them because only the Lions will figure out a way to have, if I may use this analogy, to have a brand new Cadillac in a parking space in the project. See, the Lions are the project. Very Detroit analogy. <laughs> the Lions are, let's talk about my city. The Lions are the projects, okay? That they have been for 50-something years. You think they, they have nice things? No, they never have had nice things. What if you take it at Escalade to a job interview? <laughs> it doesn't matter. What if you take it at Escalade to a you club? Know, you still can't, can't you enjoy it? You know what life? happened? The Lions are, uh, well, have a flat tire on the way, all right? Fade will be messed up. Like, they just, they haven't built the type of structure. And I get in, in a league where everybody wants a quarterback. When you look at some of the quarterbacks who will be rolling out in week one, I understand there's a difference between your them real team, and you, Matt You're Stafford. from Detroit, but no, root for the Lions. Your real team would kill hey, that Matt Stafford. Hey, Brian, the Niners. look good. And when we get Kirk Cousins next year, <laughs> it's all good. Look, I, it's like they have this, this piece, and that's all they have is a piece, and they have nothing else. And it's kind of – But if you're going to keep it and you appreciate it. And he's 29. Oh, we'll he's, see. Matthew Stafford's a good quarterback. That's right. I said he's a good quarterback, okay? He gets a bad rap. He's in a dysfunctional franchise, and the problem is, shout out to our – no, not shout out. I'm, I'm calling you out. Our man Rob Parker out here <laughs> saying, look, I stand with Cap like everybody else, but I am not going to stand for this Matthew Stafford slander in which he's saying he'd rather have Colin Kaepernick than Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford's a good player. He gets a bad rap, and y'all in Detroit, I don't know what it is about your city. Y'all don't know how to appreciate a quarterback when you see one. First Maybe of all, they never had one. Exactly. They so you don't know what it looks like. And of course they get one, like. and they don't even have a team around them that would adequately justify. So you're supposed to not pay the quarterback no, and let the rest of the team fall no apart choice. too? You That's gotta, why this is not Matt, Matthew Stafford's fault. His deal came up at the right time. You know who's happy as all get out is Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and all the other quarterbacks who are in line this for a big payday. It. He throws more passes than anybody. Oh, he he really? has earned this money. $246 million he collect by age 35. Yeah. That's Must your man. be nice. That's your man. So my sophomore year of college, several trusted sources told me that our basketball coach, Judd Heathcote, actually taught a coaching basketball class. Pardon the corny pun, but this seemed like a layup. Let's see. I love basketball. Class was at a manageable 1020 a.m. twice a week. 
And Judd was such an important figure at Michigan State, I figured there was no way that the head coach of a major Big Ten basketball program would be that involved in teaching a college class. So I'll take those three credits and an easy four point for 500, Alex. But the first day of class, it was clear I had miscalculated. That class was hard. We had pop quizzes, a midterm, and a final that was 200 questions. I struggled to get a three-point in that class. Judd missed classes just a few times the whole semester. And when he did miss, he made a couple of his assistants fill in for him. One was Brian Gregory, now the coach of South Florida. The other was some guy named Tom Izzo, who was Heathcote's successor. And even though Izzo's coaching accomplishments eventually surpassed Heathcote's, Izzo leaned on Judd just as much as he had as his assistant, if not more. That's why Judd's death on Monday was so difficult for so many. Judd retired as Michigan State's coach in 1995, but it felt like he never left the university. When I covered MSU basketball, I could always call Judd for a quote, and he would always mess with me and say he taught me everything I knew about basketball. So blame him. You were assured a funny story, which you likely couldn't repeat, and a bunch of one-liners. You also were assured brutal honesty. Judd didn't sugarcoat anything. That's why Magic Johnson, whom he won a title with in that famed 1979 NCAA championship game, said Judd made him a better man. He definitely made us all better Spartans. Mark Murphy of the Boston Herald writes today that there has been no contact between the Cavs and Celtics since multiple reports of the Cavs' desire for more in exchange for Kyrie Irving. Furthermore, Murphy writes, the Celtics are said to have no contingency plan in place. Not a surprise here. Due to the lack of contact, no plan to either include another asset or to make the trade go through or to draw a line and refuse further compensation. He said the Cavs have not expressed his satisfaction to the Celtics, let alone made an alternative demand. Mm. Of course, the deadline to void a deal is Thursday morning. What we're basically saying is, or asking is, is no news good news. Yeah, and maybe, maybe this was one of those thought bubbles the Cavs had uh, that got out there. <laughs> All right. Pops tripping. <laughs> want me to ask for my fight back right. for the breach cruiser back and maybe it got out there and once they thought about it said you know what let's gather ourselves let's collect our thoughts yeah. and really think this through because at the end of the day i think this deal goes through it's just too good for both sides like a lot of times in trades they're lopsided or somebody has significant leverage over the other person in this case this is really a perfect deal for both teams right. the Cavs get to build for right now and build for the future the Celtics get a all-star level point guard uh, a, a clutch point guard in Kyrie Irving right. a player that's still in his prime as well as keep a building block for the future in Jason Tatum yes giving up Jay Crowder I think will hurt them defensively but they're still getting basically everything that they want so why y'all tripping? Yeah, well, exactly. And look, if I'm, again, if I'm Danny Ainge and Kobe Altman calls me up, I'm like, you got some nerve. Right. <laughs> because you, not only did we agree to this, we announced this. You knew what you were getting. You knew that Isaiah Thomas's hip was an issue. And supposedly the report is that the Cavs found nothing new. Nothing, that they haven't found anything. That they hadn't found anything right. that would be alarming in his medical So report. I don't know. Maybe if this is some kind of like bluff, if, they, if they're just trying to see if they can squeeze something else, get a little greedy. Don't get too greedy to the point where you're getting too cute. I mean, the fact that as of now, to our knowledge, they have not even reached out is interesting. You know what I mean? Like if they were going to do it, you'd think they'd have done it by now or they're waiting to the deadline to see if they can pressure the Celtics into doing it. But absolutely not, because you knew what you were getting to come back and want something else of value when the conversation post-trade was that the Celtics may have overpaid to begin with. Right. They gave you everything you want. Don't mess this up by trying to get too greedy. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, at LAX. 
Yo, do wait, man. How was your trip? Good. Was it good? You guys look pretty good in bathing suits. See my tan? <laughs> oh, dude, your tan is fantastic. Hey, any chance you're going to join LeBron next year? Any chance at all? On the telephone, we text each other. But are you going to join him with the Cavs, maybe? I'm going to join him to dinner this week somewhere. Oh, nice. nice. All right, thank you, guys. So, TMZ, so we did, hey, Dwayne Wade says, I'm meeting with LeBron this week. Dwayne Wade said, fake news, man. He's like, or go to dinner like friends do. <laughs> Not meet for dinner. There's a difference. There is a difference. At dinners at which, according to Gabby, D-Wade and LeBron order for each other. That's how well they know each other. Bottom line is, we're going to see D-Wade in the Cavs uniform this year. And, 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 and for it, it has nothing to do for with confirmation. this meeting. Because whatever discussions that they've taken place, that have taken place between the two of them about eventually playing with one another again, they don't need to meet and have dinner. I'm sorry. They don't need to have dinner together. Not meet for dinner. Yeah. They don't need to have dinner together for that to have taken place already. Right. They got this text thread yeah. going and, on. And I think it's probably understood at this point. Speaking of Twitter, and honestly, it may not matter if this trade gets done or not. I mean, it will get done, but it doesn't matter. If LeBron is serious about taking it to another level, if that other level exists, you see him on Twitter saying people are showing highlight videos. He's like, oh, wait, I got more. I got more highlights to add to this reel. If he's going to be that much better and they get the weight, yeah, it's uh, and plus, Let's get to these Vegas eyes. I say, meanwhile, what are the Warriors doing? Oh, sitting back and being favorites. That's well, what is this the East or West we're looking at right now? This is or the East. Conference. So check this out. So this is the over-under came out today from Westgate Superbook in Las Vegas, right? So they got the Celtics finishing 56 and a half. I will take the over on that. Mm. Uh, I think they have that just about right. I would go with 56. But, look, but see, that's to our point about the Bulls and D-Wade. 21 and a half wins. They're over-under. You know what else stands out? That's Way so too low on the Sixers. Way too low. Sixers winning 50, baby. I thought that was Trust appropriate. The process. That means they're in the playoffs, Trust right? Trust the process. All right, let's go West. What stands out to you about the West over under? Okay, what stands out is looking at that top three. I can see all three of those teams. Well, for sure the Warriors, but I could also see the Rockets and Spurs also winning 60 games. And Lead some for somebody else. Look at the T-Wolves right That's there squad, in right? the middle. That's my team. 48 and a half wins. I'll take the over under. Lakers 33 and a half. Over under. That's an improvement. Baby steps. <laughs> All right. This uh, first DTM is straight from the files of Life Comes At You Fast. So Monday at 1120 a.m., the Hamilton Tiger Cats announced they have hired Art Browse. And Monday at 930 p.m., then they announced that he will not be joining the organization. Today at 930, Tiger Cat statement, we made a large and serious mistake. Here is the Tiger Cat CEO, Scott Mitchell, on the backlash. Most of the, the tsunami of negativity started in the States, and I think uh, most of the social media activity was generated out of the States, uh, um, where our brows and Baylor is still a very, very fresh issue, and I think we clearly underestimated that. We underestimated the tsunami of negativity that was, uh, was going to happen, and, uh, and we, we made a mistake in trying to... Um, contemplate a second chance versus the impact of what had happened at Baylor. Tsunami of negativity. Let me write that one down. Uh, sounds like Mr. Mitchell needs to have a conversation with the team's owner and the commissioner because he still doesn't get it. Right. Okay, because he's basically justifying by saying, oh, this was, we underestimated how much would come from the state. Why States. would you underestimate that? And I'm so tired of the second chance thing. Our boss doesn't deserve a second chance. Deserves got nothing to do with it. Just right. say we owe an eight, he's a smart coach, and we trying to win football games. Just that call it what it better is. And, and sticking by it. He deserves as opposed a second to chance. saying, like, oh, well, the backlash was bigger than we expected, so we changed our mind. Yeah. Well, the fact that you even thought about 
about it in the first place is the issue. He shouldn't be in charge of the program. I said it yesterday, but if you want to employ him, employ him. Don't worry about social media backlash. Feels too soon for me. Tonight's the night, Kansas City. No Major League Baseball team has ever been shut out in five straight games. The Royals' 43-inning scoreless streak is five shot of tying the MLB record. It doesn't matter. That's a moot point. You because call it the streak is over. As they play host to the Rays, the streak ends. So this is really doing too little. <laughs> Not doing too much. By the way, they're still right in the thick of the wild. Everybody named Mama's in the wild card. This is yeah. still one of the more perplexing, perplexing streaks I've seen. They what they led the Rockies 2-0 on Thursday, and then all of a sudden now scored 35 and nothing. All right, the Colts Forge campaign got off to a rocky start. First broke the Titans and Vikings, called the Colts out for copying them. Then people on Twitter, as they often do with things, started to go in on Colts Forged, <laughs> which I have to the say. Titans? <laughs> the Titans? The Titans and the Vikings did claim <laughs> you, you copied us. But what does that mean? What is that? Nobody knows what it means. I know. Provocative. What, what are they doing? Social media going. What they're doing over there. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. But when you're down, people just pile on. Because you notice <laughs> the Titans are like, your quarterback hurt. Ours is good. <laughs> right. <laughs> we just don't come it. after you now. Why is this in DTM? Something you may not have known about Derrick Rose. I think it's a great story. Plays chess online. And he spent a good amount of time this summer studying the life of Albert Einstein. That's what he reveals to Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press. Just more reasons for Cavs fans to be excited. Because he's reading Einstein and playing chess? Yeah. It's great. Okay. So why, why is this a DTM? I'm confused. I just, I was a little surprised, personally. Why were you surprised? You I know? was just surprised. Like, why were you surprised? I was just surprised. Why were you surprised? That's all. Like, well, I would have just... Why, I, 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 I'm of, curious of, why you're so curious. Of all the books I would have guessed Derrick Rose would be reading, I would not have guessed the life of Albert Einstein. I mean, don't look at me like that. It's like I said, you know, be... Stop. Move on. Move on. <laughs> so 31-year-old Grayson Gregory bet a co-worker that McGregor would beat Mayweather and paid up by getting a tattoo of Mayweather on his leg. You just wanted a Mayweather tattoo. You should have just done that instead of making a bet. Did you really think that? Some of these people really did. Some of these people believe in their heart of hearts. I think they were living vicariously, quite frankly. <laughs> Some of these people believe, believe in their heart of hearts. There's a the difference between wanting Floyd Mayweather to get beaten versus actually believing he will get beaten. You either wanted a Mayweather tattoo for some sick reason or you just have no regard for your body. It's like, you know what, whatever. It'll if be a you're going to bet a, be- bet a tattoo, bet it against something more in your because eyes. Because shameless. Now we go too hard in the paint. Devin Millar, a regular in highlight segments. Stellar defensive play, another one in the outfield for the Blue Jays last night. Robin Mookie bets from at least a double. I think My this goodness. was the catch of the year so far. I, I, somebody, I'm sure, has said this. This is a catch of the year. He should go Deion, Brian, Jordan, and play football. Something. Like, somebody can use those skills. And look out. I mean. You can't I was, overthrow him. It was part of me that tensed up a little bit because he was so close to the wall. Yep. That was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, unseated uh, Maria Sharapova. She earned a wild card entry into the U.S. Open. Upset two seeds, Simona Halep, last night. Not sure how I feel about this. There are a lot of people who felt like she should have been banned for life after serving uh, the 15, month, 15 months for doping. I wouldn't put this as a comeback story, and it kind of played like one. It was like, this is not a comeback. This is of her own doing. Yeah. So Shout out to Angelique Kerber, uh, first U.S. Open defending champ to be eliminated in the first round. No shout out. Sorry, that's bad news for her. At 12 years, she fell to Naomi Osaka. Shout out to her in straight sets earlier today. Meanwhile, I am feeling Jordan Brand unveiling really? the latest model of the You're Jordan You're a retro Steve. guy, right? I'm a retro guy, but these the 32s, they're inspired by the 2s. They go on sale September 23rd for 185, same price as last year's edition. They released them in Italy. Meanwhile, Nike's new Kevin Durant shoot up the KDX Red Velvet. Nicely done. 
inspired by the cupcakes. <laughs> Notice how KD has been able to turn everything around. They're sweet. Uh, I saw you turn the frown upside down. I hear what down. you did. Who had a good day? So, uh, Scott Van Pelt, the Van Pelt team just got a lot stronger because Charles Wyatt joined the squad today. So, Scott, you rank last in your family. Sorry, but congratulations. <laughs> and uh, salute to Cubs first baseman Anthony Rizzo. He fought back tears today. He was visibly emotional at a ribbon-cutting ceremony at Lurie Children's Hospital at his foundation. It donated $3.5 million to the Children's Hospital. That's it for us. We will see you tomorrow.